Guys, this week is going to be a great week. We have episodes for you every day that we're filming today here at the Elliott Museum, interviewing different people in the industry. Eblis has picked this place to launch their Always Bikes to the professional installer who will sell it to you, to the consumer. These are top-of-the-line EV bikes. You do not want to miss this week's show as Eblis launches their Always brand. Welcome to Wheels, Deals, and Meals, where we talk all things good food, good business, and good cars. And now, here is your host, Arnold Gasita, founder and CEO of Petra Automotive Products. Let's roll. Bill, what an incredible event Amazing. you are throwing. Thank you. I mean, this museum is absolutely amazing. I, I, I'm really proud of all of this and just how much fun we're having doing it. Yeah. And this 1925 Rolls Royce, beautiful. Come on. I mean, look at one of a kind. Now, I know you have some pull here, but how, what are the chances that we're going to get thrown out if we get in the car? Let's go for it. Let's do it. All right. All right. Come on. Wow. What an amazing machine. This is incredible. Great. It's just. <laughs> Hopefully we don't get kicked out. Although they obviously didn't have a lot of fat people back then. <laughs> because, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get out. <laughs> Maybe it's like a race car and you take the steering wheel off and... Uh, I don't know mechanics of the back. <laughs> we, we may need them to get you out of this. Dude. For those of you that don't know, this is Bill Klim. He is the chairman and CEO of Eblis. Apart from a lot of the stuff that he has done and is doing, this is his current main thing, and that's... Uh, e-mobility, bringing EV bikes. We're doing an incredible launch of the Always brand here in Stewart Beach at the Elliott Museum, uh, this place that we've been talking about for the last few Amazing. interviews. It's just absolutely off the charts. You have to come see this place. Um, no matter what anybody tells you, when you walk in here, you're going to be amazed of how this place looks, the cars, the vehicles. It's just incredible. And the kindness of everybody here. Anyway, Thank you, Bill, for being on the show. Arnold, Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks I don't think I've ever been so close to somebody that I am interviewing. Um, you know, this is going to be a very uh, touching and uh, close interview with Bill. <laughs> but anyway, so let's start with this. Because we're here, we're in a car, we're in the Rolls Royce, and in this beautiful museum. What is Bill's favorite car? What, what is your dream car that you want in your garage? So I had a replica AC Cobra 65 blue and white. That was my dream to own that car. And I had that car. So it'll be, that'll be my next one. Okay. I'm going to get it. You want it back. One of those back. I, I, I get the feeling I had a, my first car was a 1978 Cobra. Nothing like what you're talking about, but I would love to have that car back for many reasons. It was beautiful. It was brown and gold, you know, uh, uh, I mean, it was just a wonderful car. But I would love to get it, get it back. I, I I think about that car probably every day. Yeah. I lived in San Diego. I would take that car on Sunday morning, put my Tiger baseball cap on backwards, put my earplugs in, and I would go racing up the 101. You know, eight o'clock in the morning, a cup of coffee, just enjoy the enjoy the surf. Just yeah. And, you, and your mind goes, your mind rests. Absolutely. You know, it's so hard to get the mind to rest these days, but your mind would rest. Absolutely. You know, and, and I, the other thing is, you know, the power and the feeling of that car, right? Because that car was basically all engine, right? It's just an engine with wheels. Um, and so you would feel that car. And, 
And then, of course, you know, everybody appreciated the car because it's an absolute right. white class. Right, right, right. And then the other fun one is all these people want to race you. Right, right, so, right, right. Everyone seems just like, yeah, come on, let me take you on, right? right. So then, so I, I remember taking my boys out, one of them at a time, and dad, let's, you know, let's, let's go race that guy. After a little while, okay, dad, slow down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I took, you know, that I have a, you know, yeah. It's, it's out. Uh, I, I was going people, people will say, you know, you get on and they're trying to race you like, really? <laughs> For real? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, if you insist. <laughs> I'll get 600 on the 800 or 500. <laughs> hey, Bill, of all the places that you've traveled, mm-hmm. what is your favorite? Um, you know, so it, it, there's a, so many places that I enjoy to go, and I've been I've had the great fortune being around the world. So I do enjoy going to Europe. I enjoy the history. Um, I enjoy the culture. But the other places I really like are in Asia. So I spent an awful lot of time always Korean. So I spent a lot of time in Korea. I enjoy Korea. I enjoy the people enjoy the food so for me exploring the culture is also about enjoying the food enjoying what people you know who people are that's another thing that i really like to do i've been blessed by having factories and employees around the world so i'd like to go to their houses and just kind of see how they enjoy life and see what to their lives are like um so again probably prague is probably my top place in europe to go to Beautiful. A romantic city, a beautiful city. Yeah. Arch and entertainment. Art, entertainment, you know, the river, Charles Bridge, just all those things. I had a factory there with, you know, a lot of employees. And just just after kind of the fall and communism was going away, so I got to see, experience how people's lives were changing, right? How currency was coming in and affecting lives. So I got to see that. And now when I take my family back to Prague, right, I... I get to tell them about my journey that I had when I was there. But I would tell you that on the regret side, I would travel all over the place, but I just worked, right? It was airport hotel office, right? And my wife one time asked me, you know, you've been to London, you know, 50 times. Well, what do you, you know, I don't know, right? Or Amsterdam. Yeah. And so when, when she and I got together, that was one of the things I changed. As I said, you know what? When I travel these places, I'm going to go enjoy them. You know, that's so true because... In business, and, 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 and we both have had a long career, but I've traveled the world. But I can tell you that in the beginning, it was very similar to that. In the beginning, you would fly to Hawaii to have a convention <laughs> that your wife was enjoying the beach or the pool, yes. but you were in a conference room or ballroom that you could have been in Detroit. Nobody would have known the difference, right? So you're flying all over the world to have these meetings inside the hotel or a meeting room or an OEM. And never seen the outside. So I, the, my first trip to London for business, I flew in, I had, you know, one in for a meeting and then I flew home the same day. Right. And it was just like, why would you torture yourself like that? Right. Yeah. Why don't you take an, an extra day? It doesn't hurt. Yeah. Enjoy enjoy the city. Enjoy it. Right. All these places. And then now that when I have done it right now, it's like, oh, what an idiot I should have done before. But I'm just not, you can't go back and revisit. Right, 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 right. You move forward. Right. So uh, the first time my wife and I went on an international date, we were, we were in Europe and, uh, and we went to go see bike dealerships across Europe, across Holland. And I, I took her and she was amazed because I was in these bike stores. But what I learned in there is that they all were, it's the same as the U.S., right? It wasn't, people think all oh, Europe's so much. It's not. They're just all people, right? 
know, the consumers still got the same things. But I got to go launch my product in Europe, and that was that first time in which I said, I'm going to invest in the community, I'm going to invest in, in that. And it has paid a ton of dividends for me to just slow down and enjoy that moment. Oh, we have to. We have to keep doing that all as well. What's your favorite food? Uh, oh, type of food. What's your favorite type of food? Italian. Italian? Yeah, I love Italian. Yeah. Have you been to Venice? Okay, so to me, Venice is one of my favorite, if not my favorite place to go. Really? And it's because I can just turn a, a hallway, a little walkway that they have, these little, mm -hmm. and and you can stop at any restaurant, four, maybe six tables, <laughs> sit down, and it's the most unbelievable food you've ever had. I love Venice. You need to go to Venice and just lose yourself. You're talking about enjoying the moment. Mm -hmm. Lose yourself in all these little walkways and stop at these places, and it's just, it's amazing. Some some places, actually, we actually have sat down in a place where maybe we're two or three tables, and it's whatever they're cooking that day. Yeah. So, like, you go, is there a menu? And she's like, it's, you know, it's this today. Okay, all right, well, that's what we're going to have. You know, and it's been amazing. It's been amazing. So, it's great. So, listen, tell me a little bit about Bill's history. So, so Bill was born and started, I, uh, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, I, uh, you know, so I grew up in Detroit, um, I was grew up in a household where my dad was a very high-level engineer, inventor. Worked for ran uh, advanced development for for a computer business called Burroughs, Unisys now. Um, but I was the only one in the neighborhood whose dad didn't work for the automakers. Everybody else worked for automakers. Sure, especially men. Absolutely, and and my dad thought cars were the stupidest thing in the world, and I loved cars. Um, so I grew up as a kid building and driving race cars, fixing cars, fixing everything in the house, because my dad was an engineer. We never had somebody come into the house to fix anything, so I fixed it, and dad told me what to fix. But then my other passion was flying airplanes. So I started flying when I was probably five years old, and I got my ticket when I was 15. So that was my dad's and my connection, was flying airplanes. Not cars, but cars was my passion. Um, I wanted to work for the Ford Motor Company since I was five years old. And when I was 22 years old, I got that chance. Uh, I moved to New Orleans. So my first big job out of college was New Orleans. So 22-year-old single man in New Orleans with a company car. That's like Disneyland for adults. <laughs> it's, it's like college with money. Um, so, I, so then I spent five years in New Orleans uh, calling the car dealers. So learning as much as I could. So that's one of the things I like to do is when I get into something, I have to learn the basics. So I have to know how it works, right? How do dealers work? How do distributors work? So I spent a bunch of time uh, living with these dealers. And it's funny because they're still my friends 30 years ago, right? I still call them. If I call them on the phone right now, we'd have a big yuck about all the crazy stuff I used to do when I was 22. Um, then I, I went, I got sent back to Detroit um, and to finance. Can we stop here and talk sure. about the craziness of when you were 22? Sure. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, we want to keep it a family show. Yeah, let's get a family <laughs> So, uh, so I, did a, I did a two and a half year tour duty on finance. Um, so I learned how the, the financial side of how Ford Motor Company worked. You know, Ford, was, Ford still is a financially driven company. So people don't understand that. But one, it's a family business and two, it's financially driven. So I became very, uh, and I, I had some, so one of the things I did when I was in finance is I recognized that we were paying warranty claims for salvage cars. Um, 
And so I figured out a way to stop it. And I handed the idea to Stephen Polk and he started Carfax. So I was the guy who came up with the original vehicle history report for Carfax. Um, Stephen Polk offered me a job. If he listens to his podcast, he'll still laugh about that. I was 27 at the time. And they all asked me, you know, this was a great idea. Let's start a business. And I said, no, I'm going to get promoted. Because we, I saved the Ford Motor Company over $300 million with my idea. Because we were paying that much in warranty claims. So the funny story was... I found this, I validated it. I took it to my boss. I'm a low level little finance guy. My boss looked at me at his glasses, did this. Is this real? Brings in the rest of the team. They all said, yeah, it's real. The next two weeks I was with every single finance person up to the CFO. And now I'm in a room with all of them and I'm very nervous because the CFO does the same thing. Is this real? <laughs> and then he asked me to write a letter to the CEO of all the big three automakers and tell them what we found and that they needed to clean this up too. So then um, I, I went through, I had a bunch of different jobs. Um, I had a big marketing job where we launched the tire tire program for Ford Motor Company, um, maintenance and light repair. So I got, again, I got to sit around the campfire and see how all this worked. Um, I was part of the Vistion IPO team. So helped birth a $28 billion IPO. And then um, decided I had a little bit too much of an entrepreneurial spirit, so I left the Ford Motor Company and went to work and ran an auto dealer services business, which is where I went met Dr. Boyle. And then I became the COO and then the president of NewGen. Uh, so I did that for three years. And then I, I realized I hadn't done enough silly things in my life, so I decided I want to start a business. So there's a gentleman who was one of my best friends, and he ran the Boston Consulting Group's automotive practice. So he lived in Boston. And so he and I decided we're going to start companies. So we both found technologies. We both vetted our own technologies. And we both brought but you're, you're opening separate companies? Separate companies. Two different companies. Okay. We both you're just want, buddies? We're just, and at the same time, we're going to open two different companies. And we're going, to, we're going to be VCs. We're going to learn how to do this. Okay. So I never raised a dollar of capital in my life. Never done any of this. Um, so then started a company. Um, raised $165 million dollars. Pretty good for your first shot. It was not bad. It was, you know, <laughs> and, 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 so I, I tell the story. I'm sitting in this gentleman's home. First, first time I've ever made a presentation to raise money. And I'm sitting there and he writes me a check for a million dollars. And I turned to the guys I'm with and I said, I didn't ask for enough money because I got it on the first try. And again, it, it became, so then we built it. We had a, I had a technology formed literally in my garage. It was a 16 pound bicycle hub. Uh, had an inventor. So I built a full automotive class research and development center in Austin, Texas. Um, we, we had 18 test stands, full metrology, full machine shop. We made everything. Um, and then I did that for 14 and a half years. Uh, we had some, some personal tragedies in my life and decided I wouldn't do something different. So I left that business. Uh, and then I, I tried my hand at a couple other things. So I started a home inspection business, did that for a couple of years. And then uh, I got recruited to run job.com and then came back to the e-bike business. So the gentleman who was my partner making my transmission for me called me and said, Bill, I want to start an e-bike business and you're the best one to run it and I'll back you and let's go. So that started eBliss. And from there, put an amazing team together 
found a couple of great partners to go help me out and uh, we're on our way. You know, you got a fascinating resume. It's fascinating. I love every piece about it and everything kind of fits somewhat in the automotive industry or just business. But when you said home inspection company, that's kind of over here. So because you know what the funny thing is? So home inspector, what they do is they manage time. Same as a technician, right? So it's the same kind of a thing. You load their time. It's, it's about how efficient you can be with their time. 28,000 home inspectors in North America, you need probably 7,000 to serve all the whole market. So it was an inefficient market. So I just was, I want to try it, right? So bought six home inspection companies over 18 months, built the third largest home inspection business in America. And, you know, I did that for, I just wanted to try it. How, how many companies have you sold? <clears throat> Couple, three or four, probably, maybe. Maybe, probably three. How many, and you, you reported the CVT, right? Uh-huh, that was mine. That was yours. Mm -hmm. How many patents do you have? 800 and something. 800 and something patents. 16,000 patents. Come on, Bill, you should really get to the thousand. <laughs> You're slacking and you need to get your act together, okay? I'm tired of talking to slackers, okay? So it's funny because, so my dad had patents. So my dad held the first patent on the CD-ROM. So he was part of, so he's in the Smithsonian, he invented the CD-ROM. And so as a kid, I watched my dad develop technologies that we use today, right? Much more advanced now than when he invented them. But I watched that journey. So I got really comfortable with that. And one of, one of the regrets I have in my life is my father didn't get to see that business go because my father would have been just, he would have worn me out with questions. Um, but that was, you know, in the back of my mind, I always think dad's kind of watching. Uh, no, I was going to tell you, I don't think there is a question about it. I think your dad sees it and your dad's watching. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, and I have no doubt, you know, the, I've had the privilege to, to, to know you a few months now, but you, you know this, I, I, I love your character and what you're doing. Um, we have a lot of similarities. And so I know that the people that work around you are proud of you. There's no doubt your dad's proud of you. Thank you. No, no doubt at all. So Eblis. Yes. This is the latest and greatest. Yes. EV bikes that you've done for different brands. Now you're launching always to the dealership professional. Absolutely. Automotive industry that they in turn will sell it to the consumers that are buying the retail vehicles. Right. Tell us about Eblis. Sure. What's what's magical and so great about Eblis? So a couple things. So I'm going to say three things. So the first thing is. There is no economically advantaged channel of distribution for e-mobility products in America. In Europe, there is. That's a huge difference. So there is no conduit to the market where the customer has choices and create, can create trial. There is no professional channel of organized distribution. That's what the auto dealers are. So for me, auto dealers, $1.7 trillion in revenue last year, 2.3 million consumers a day walk into an auto dealer and spend money. There is nothing like that in the world. The U.S. auto dealer market is the most economically advantaged distribution system for transportation in the world, period. So that's why we're doing it with auto dealers. Auto dealers, if you think what they're great at, when a consumer shows up at that store, they know how to get them in a vehicle. They know how to make that happen. They, they know how to overcome objections. They know how to manage expectations. They've just, this is what they know how to do. This is the perfect place to take the next generation of e-mobility. If you think about it, there's 119 million rides in a car every day in America. 29 million of those are less than a mile. So the objective here is win the mile. 
So if I can get the car dealers to understand that our objective is to win the mile, this isn't about selling the consumer what they don't need. It's about consulting with them and help them understand what they do need. You know, when I interviewed Pat yesterday, I was shocked, and, and I may get this wrong, okay. that people, 28% of the time that people travel, they travel within a mile or three. It's amazing. You, I mean, you need to put that everywhere. I know. Well, that, that's I didn't know that. Yeah. So, and, so, and, I, and I know that 99% of the people out there don't know that. Even the people that get in our car every day to go somewhere, 28% of the times you get in your car, you're traveling a mile or three. Yeah, I know. Actually, it's 50% of the time you drive less than seven miles. So the world is going to what I call a 15-minute city, 15-minute lifestyle. We all want to enjoy our time with a small segment. We don't want to drive 100 miles to work anymore, right? Those, those days have kind of gotten beyond that. I know... You know, growing up, people in L.A., I know they would drive two hours to work every day. Well, nobody wants it anymore, right? Everybody wants to be close to their family. This is a lifestyle change, and we're seeing that. So I think as automakers come to grips with this, why do you need 63,000 parts in a car to drive a mile? You don't, right? Um, so as I think about it, I think the auto dealers have the biggest opportunity, and they have the most to lose. Because they have, they have $880 billion of capital deployed on their balance sheets, and that capital will go to waste if they don't find ways to satisfy what the customer really wants, and that is that one-mile ride, right? I mean, we see that here today. And I think, I think the barrier, people will put their walls down because a lot of times, like we all know statistically, it's, it's, the EV thing is not happening in a vehicle. You can have a F-150, F-250, diesel f350 guy go oh i'll do a bike i'll do an ev bike no problem absolutely you know the guy with the hellcat i'll do an ev bike sure they got you know the corvette guy i'll do an ev bike they're not gonna do the ev vehicle no but the ev bike the barrier is down absolutely people got no problem with no. that they'll do the ev bike so totally agree. so your consumer base now is everybody not just this five percent of the arnold this is what i call a market segment of one this is everybody, right? This isn't 18 to 25-year-olds. I mean, as we've seen today on these ride and drives, right? We had a 16-year-old kid. We had a 75-year-old man. Everybody enjoyed it. And the smiles on their faces, every single one of them when they got off this. So when we design our bikes, one of the things to talk about why Bliss, we design our bikes. Tony, who's our bike designer, I told him his design standard is it has to feel like the hand of God is pushing you along. We want to have this seamless experience. The other thing that's different about us is we designed these bikes to be a transportation piece of equipment, not a $120 Walmart bike that you put an electric motor on. We want this to be a true experience because that's really what customers want. The data is very clear. All the million people that bought bikes in the last 12 months, e-bikes, a lot of them love the experience. They don't like the maintenance. They don't like the failures. So those are things that we want to professionalize, and that's the reason why we're doing this launch here is because I wanted to show people that the history of automotive started with bicycles and has now gone back to bicycles. It's fantastic. I'll tell you, the bikes are beautiful. As, as people will get to see these bikes eventually and maybe see it on our website and our, you know, on our podcast as well. They're just absolutely beautiful, Thank absolutely well-made and fun and fun vehicles. And you see the faces of people that are out there driving it and, and doing it. So one final question, which is kind of a selfish question. Okay, sure. Why'd you pick Petra as your logistic arm? So that's interesting. So Arnold, on the 25th of June, I sat in your office and it was your launch day for Petra Cares. 
And it wasn't the fact that you were a technical, a good distributor. It wasn't just the fact you're a technical distributor. It wasn't the fact that you've built a business, right? It wasn't a fact that you care deeply about your employees. It was the fact you cared about your community, right? You cared so much about your community and your dealers that you found this opportunity to take at-risk children, right, who are in their last year of foster care, and to give them an opportunity to have a job, to give them hope. Arnold, the character that I saw in what you guys do, I said, the technical side, I, I knew you were there because I had already checked that out. But the fact of you as a human and who and what it meant to you to do this, Arnold, honestly, you saw the tear in my eye that morning and that was real because, you know, I, I appreciate that kind of genuine, real uh, heart that goes into your business. That's why. Uh, it's, it's kind. That's fantastic. And it's true. <laughs> and I'm glad you're a partner with us. Thank you, buddy. Me too. Appreciate you, buddy. Thank you, man. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Wheels, Deals, and Meals, your main source for all things good and fun, business, food, and cars. If you like this episode, make sure to rate us and subscribe. If you would like to be a guest on our show, please leave a message at the link below. Till next time, happy eating. Hey, we're here at the Ilion Museum filming a bunch of episodes for you guys. If you like the upcoming episodes or any of our episodes, give us a thumbs up, subscribe, like, comment, share. We need you to be part of the team. Thank you.